Welcome to Startup to Last, a podcast about building profitable software businesses that are meant to last. Hi, I'm Tyler. I run a bootstrapped SaaS company called Less Annoying CRM. And hi, I'm Rick. I'm the founder of Leg Up Ventures, which owns and operates software companies that empower underdogs. This week, we're going to talk about how to onboard a new employee. We just hired someone here at Less Annoying CRM, and they're starting in a couple weeks. So I'm going to ask Rick for ideas on how we can make the most of the new hire's first day, week, and month. But first, let's give some updates. So what have you been up to this week, Rick? Hey, uh, um, not much. It's been a slow week. I was at um, Bear Lake with Sable, which is this, it's like the Caribbean of the Rockies is what they call it. And it's this <laughs> what lake. What does that mean? It means that um, it's this beautiful lake right at the border of Idaho, Wyoming, and Utah. And it's huge. And you can see to the bottom uh, across the lake. So it's super clear water, like that beautiful Caribbean blue. Um, it it kind of changes colors throughout the day. So anyway, wasn't much swimming to go. Hap- not much swimming happened uh, this time of year, but we did go skiing a couple times uh, at the nearby resort. Um, so just got back yesterday uh, from, I guess, it, yeah, yesterday from from like a week out there and started planning out 2020 goals. Um, I'm happy to say that uh, I'm, I'm playing every week. So I skied yeah. a couple times last week and I played basketball and, and skied a couple of times this week already. So cool. I'm, I'm, I'm maintaining my uh, my play goal. <laughs> well, we're two days into the year, so uh, you're almost there, just... 300 and, and it's a leap year. So 364 year, uh, days to go. <laughs> Wait, six, 366. 60. Well, you've done two of them. Oh, you're right. <laughs> oh, you're totally right. So yeah. What about you? Uh, yeah, since it's, you know, everything's slow during the holidays, I was on vacation, so it wasn't really working much. Um, we did have what maybe is a little bit of a coming of age thing for a startup, which is we have our first like direct copycat product just came out. <laughs> so someone launched a CM uh, that is, uh, there's lots of competition. I'm not, I'm not unfamiliar with the idea of like new CRMs launching, but this is v- very clearly they took our product and uh, kind of made, you know, a copy of it. Um, one interesting thing about it, they're very, pu- they're doing it on indie hackers, like kind of talking about the process, but not saying that they stole it, but uh, they're building it with bubble with no code tools. Interesting. Yeah. So, how do you feel about that? About the copycat in general, I mostly don't care, except they like are, I think, have crossed line where they literally posted a screenshot of what they're planning on building and it has our logo in it. Like they forgot to take our logo out before they posted it. Um, so, like, mostly I'm of the opinion don't worry about any of this stuff but I do think probably we're going to defend our trademark here <laughs> they're also tweeting with the hashtag less annoying CRM like they're not they're not being very shy about the fact that they're copying us so um I I think we need to send them a cease and desist just because like if not now when would you ever do that but I don't know what do you think about that yeah I would generally when when you notice things that are infringing on something the if you don't take action on it i I believe you lose credibility in taking action later i've heard that that is i've heard that said a lot but then i've heard other people say that that's like a misconception and that's not actually true it's probably worth talking to a reputable yeah i i I reach out to attorney and stuff like that so obviously she'll tell me what to do but (laughs) 
Um, I'm I'm more interested in the fact that it's with. I think the fact that it's being built on Bubble. I don't think you could build a, a valid CRM competitor with no code right now. What do you think about that? I don't know what a valid competitor means because I don't know your product well enough. Um, but I think that you could build some some different some subversion of a less annoying CRM and be competitive with some people. Yeah, um, I don't know what what the what what the what the overlap is between the user base. I guess what I mean by that, like, I think there are some products that really are ripe for no code solutions. And those are ones where the the solution that the, the value that it provides is not primarily in the user experience. But CRMs are something that people log into all day, every day. And there, there are like a million of them already that are really good. Um, I don't see what like how could you offer new value that's not already being offered with no code? Like I feel like the experience is a big part of it. Or if it's not, it's these enterprise tools that have like really, really robust functionality that you I don't think you could even accomplish with no code. Yeah. So it sounds like they're going after the very low end of the market. Um mm-hmm. and they're not coming out with something new, by the way. Right. Uh, the the and, price is a little bit less than ours, but otherwise it's nothing new. Yeah. Yeah. And and success for for this this company may be very differently than success for you. Uh, maybe it's a quick, a quick fun thing to work on. Um, maybe it's uh, uh, some, maybe it's a truly solo entrepreneur type opportunity, mm-hmm. um, in which case heavy sales, low product development, um, solo entrepreneur type thing. But it sounds like you, you keep saying they, so maybe it's a well, team. It, it seems to be one person, but um, I don't know. It's one person's talking about it on indie hackers anyway. Uh Anyway, I get the, the reason I, f- I find this interesting, not so much specifically for that one example, but you talk about no code a lot. And I think that's a topic that we should continue discussing. And I feel like some products are a better fit for no code than others. And I think if there's already a ton of competition that does the exact same thing, that's going to make it harder for no code to work. And if it's something where the user is in it all day, every day versus a tool like what, what you and I used to work on at Zane Benefits, where people log in once a month and they just need to get some data entered and then they log out. Yeah, I mean, I guess um, it, like I think a couple of reasons where no code could could work. Um, if you think you have a distribution advantage, meaning I've got relationships uh, in place that if I could offer a product that was... 80%, 70%, 60% as good as less annoying CRM. And I already have this captive audience. I could catch up really quickly and no yeah. code would suffice for that. Um, that. So I think that applies to any industry, regardless of the complexity of the product. Like if, if no code can, can be, can provide the solution at 60 to 70, you know, maybe 50 plus percent of yeah. the value. I don't know what the barrier is. And you have a distribution advantage, then it seems like you can make it work. That makes sense. Um, Paychecks um, would always like back in the day. It's past the point of like this being a non non um, non disclosure thing. But when we were in early at people keep, we had a partnership with Paychecks, and it came time where they were going to either build their own solution or really integrate ours and they decided to go build their own solution. Um, and the primary re- I remember hearing a guy quoted by a paychecks employee, um, who was a paychecks employee. So a manager at paychecks was quoted as saying, um, this is what we do. We don't buy companies. Uh, we, we figure out how to offer 
60 to 80% of what they're offering and we leverage our distribution advantage. Yeah. We have all these sense. captive payroll clients. So I, I guess like I would be only feel threatened in this case um, for you or for anyone who's like getting taken on by a no code uh, potential, you know, competitor is do they have a distribution distribution advantage? If so, distribution advantage plus the no code approach could be reason to, you know, worry. I don't know. Yeah. It's, it's the same as I've talked before about wanting to build add-on products for less annoying CRM. And it doesn't have to be, if we built appointment scheduling, it doesn't have to be better than Calendly. It just has to be close enough that people who are using us anyway would continue. Yeah. So I hear what you're saying. Yep. Cool. Um, anyway, aside from that, no, no real updates. I, uh, just got back from vacation last night and I'm kind of getting ready to dive into 2020 here. Um, so I feel a lot of energy. I don't know about you. Yeah. I, I mean, I need to get rid of some of those pounds I just added, but aside from that, yeah, no, I, I feel, um, I think 2020 is going to be a really big year for me and and less annoying CRM. And uh, certainly you're, you're primed given that your business is really just getting started right now that I think it should be a big year for both of us. Totally. And I, I really look forward to spending this time together every week because mm-hmm. we did, this wasn't even an idea that either of us had at the beginning of last year. Yeah. It, uh, a couple other podcasts I listened to, the, the people like went back and listened to a year ago, not just forget the updates, but just like the, the state of mind they were in. For example, if you know, you go through the, the highs and lows and you can listen to yourself from a year ago and be like, wow, I was, I was scared about something, <laughs> you know, or what, or I was excited about something that ended up not happening. So it'll be fun to a year from now, come back and <laughs> compare our current expectations with what actually happens. One thing I want to mention is I'm excited. Um, now that we're, we've clarified what startup to last is for us in terms of the scope of what we're going to put in and, uh, you know, what we want to talk, you know, the, the ske- sort of the schedule and the, uh, framework for our topics. One topic I, I'm really excited to talk to you about is what does it mean to start up to last? Um, mm-hmm. we, we, we were pretty intentional about coming up with a podcast name. You and I have very similar business philosophies. Um, sometimes that breaks down when you get down into details, but I'm really interested in pulling, like figuring out where we align and, uh, uh, and where we can, uh, maybe pull out the, what we agree on to make start to last mean something, uh, more yeah. than the, just the words. So yeah. I'm looking forward to that topic it, when, cool. it, when I'm able to, to have it with you. And we're probably doing that next week. Dive hesi- into that a little bit I'm more. I'm hesitant to commit to next week because I feel I want to do a little bit more research. Uh, I want to crystallize some of my my key co- points before bringing you the topic. In other words, I think it'll be a, it'll require a little bit more preparation than a normal topic. So um, maybe okay. sometime soon we'll we'll spend a whole episode diving into that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Well, so uh, speaking of topics, let's get into the one for this week. So. I th- this is my topic. Um, we have a new hire starting at Less Annoying CRM in a couple of weeks. Uh, I've talked a lot about different aspects of hiring in previous episodes, from recruiting to how to how to give an offer to interns and all that. What I want to talk about today is how to onboard a new hire. Um, so by onboard, I really mean the experience they get the first week, well, day, week, month, really. I think maybe you're, however you want to break it down, but. Um, Eventually, each new hire ends up being a full-time, comfortable, they know what they're doing type person, but first impressions matter, uh, kind of getting them to, to buy into the mission, the values, all that. So I, I just kind of want to talk through uh, what we're currently doing and see if you have any ideas um, on 
you know, things we should try out because we, we don't hire people that often. So it's not like we can constantly iterate on this. So I just want to get some ideas before the next person starts in a couple of weeks. That makes sense. Um, maybe before we get into the specifics, which I think we sh- you should definitely share, um, how would you categorize these in terms of objectives? It seems like I, I read through your notes and it seems like um, you've got a couple uh, you know, goals um, mm-hmm. for maybe let's call it the first month of an employee's time at Less Annoying CRM. What are those like specific objectives um, and wh- how do they rank? Like, I would be really be interested in what the number one objective is. Okay. So the number one objective, like I feel anything I do, I feel like I'm stagnating if I don't do it differently the next time versus how I did it last time. Um, so w- when it comes to recruiting and all this stuff, we, we are always trying to iterate and come up with new ideas. My number one takeaway from this that I would I hope for is that I have one or two or three things to just try uh, t- to mix mix it up from our normal onboarding process. Okay, and then I guess uh, kind of the secondary question. It's kind of the same question applied to the recruiting actual for the from a new hire's perspective. What what is the object? What what objectives? If you're saying like, hey, employee, by the end of this month. Or the, by, within the next thirty days, I want you to accomplish one, two, and three, and three sentence like in one sentence mm-hmm. of each. What's mm-hmm. the number one objective you're te- you're telling that person, and you know, and and how do you know that they've got it? Yeah. Or can I? Are you basically asking how? Okay, I'm saying I want ideas on things to try. What's the point of the ideas? What are we actually trying yeah, to accomplish exactly, with it? Exactly. Um, I think the main thing, I don't think it's trying to get the new hire to accomplish anything. I think a mistake a lot of entrepreneurs make, especially first-time entrepreneurs, is they they want productivity out of their new hires immediately. And it's like really hard to do that. And it makes a certain amount of sense if you're in a high growth mode, but I'm not. So I have total confidence six months from now, no matter what we do, everything will be fine. And I don't care too much about the productivity right away. So I think my main goal is actually that person's uh, mental state during it being really positive. Um, when new people start, they get stressed out. They, they, I've had a very hard time. I think maybe it's just fundamentally impossible for someone to start a job and not for it not to be kind of chaotic. But I want to reduce the chaos, make them feel safe and nurtured. And then maybe as a secondary goal, like everyone eventually gets what we're doing as a company and why, but like, that's something, the more they're like, I totally get exactly what this company is about. And I want to be a part of this. The sooner we can get to that moment, the better. Yeah. So I would say that there's kind of three things there. One is, um, proving, making that person feel safe to expose themselves to to Mm -hmm. individual people. Um, that requires trust, Mm -hmm. right? So it's really a trust exercise, um, across the whole company. You want that person to feel comfortable getting up in front of the 17 people and being totally real, totally, um, naked, whatever, whatever the right word is. Um, you also want each of your 17 people to feel that way about this person. Mm -hmm. Okay. Good point. So, so that's one, um, one is, can I, yeah. Can I editorialize on that a little bit? Yeah. One specific challenge with that is every company says the same stuff, like they talk about trust and all this, and it's total bullshit at most companies. So one of the specific challenges is, I think it's not bullshit here, but how do you convince someone of that? Yeah, I totally agree. And I'm really interested in diving into that um, today because that's where I spent a lot of time, honestly, on my writing mm-hmm. and research for the past month or two. Um, it's really, It seems like 
really, really hard and it increases, it seems exponentially with, um, you know, in terms of, it increases exponentially in terms of difficulty with, with respect to employee size, employee count. Yeah. Um, yeah. So each, each employee, but it becomes harder, exponentially harder to, uh, inc- to build trust, um, and maintain safety. So yeah, one is create, like, basically you're, you're basically blowing up your existing safety culture and trust for everyone. 70 people are now uncomfortable, um, with this new person, uh, this one new person is now uncomfortable with 17 people. How do we get it back to where it was before they hired? <laughs> they came on. Right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, the second, um, I would say it's like understanding and being able to represent the less annoying CRM way. Mm-hmm. And then third, it seems like, you know, being ready to start having productivity of some sort after 30 days. Yeah. And I, I actually think one and three are related. Like the main reason I want them to feel productive early is for their own benefit. Um, I only say that this is a CRM coach we're hiring. We've hired 12 of these plus another 15 interns in the past. They're going to, you know, two, two, three months from now, they're going to get it. I'm just not worried about that, but it it is frustrating for a new hire to feel like they're spinning their wheels and they're not like we, we try to get them to that moment of feeling useful as early as possible for their own benefit. Cool. Cool. Um, and, and yeah, of those, I like the first, the, 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 having heard you say them all, the trust thing is absolutely the main one that I care about here. Cool. Um, so what are you doing? I, I think, uh, so trust, uh, slash productivity, um, trust productivity and the less annoying CRM way, like mm-hmm. don't, like stick, understand what we're about and live it. Yeah. Which I All think right. again is really related to trust, but I don't need them to go out and tell someone else what we're about. I need them to know what we're about because that's how we build trust. I think. Got it. Okay. So it's really hundred percent about trust. Let's just yeah. talk about that. Okay. I think that's right. Uh, that's cool. Um, <laughs> so yeah, walk me through what you're doing to accomplish that right now. Uh, yeah. So I'll just give a quick run through. I kind of wrote these up in notes, which you already read, but just for, for people who don't have access to this, um, I, I probably break a new hire starting into the first day, first week, and first month. Um, first day is like like any type of relationship. I think first impressions are super, super important. They're going to go home at the end of that first day and either think, I'm really excited to be working here, or did I just make a huge mistake? <laughs> uh, I think around the end of the first week, they're at a point where it's like, they're still training and stuff, but they at least know... They're going to show up to work the next Monday and they're not going to be like terrified to step foot in the door. They're a little more comfortable. And then after the first month, I think they're basically trained and they're a productive employee. That's kind of the milestones I'm looking for. Um, f- so first day, we basically try to not, we, we don't want to stress people out too much. Um, there's, like I said, we've never been able to not overwhelm people, but the first thing we do normally is we're just like, we intentionally give them a desk that's not set up. The The desk is built, but like, here's two monitors, a docking station, a bunch of cords and a computer. Spend two hours getting it all set up because like everyone's plugged in a monitor before. Um, so it's just like, this is easy. Check this, te- you know, this box off. We're trying to give them stuff that they can feel productive, but that's not hard. Um, we also just do basic paperwork and whatever. Uh, we always have a company, we always have a lunch with them that the company pays for, but it's, we used to do it with the whole company. 
and that was overwhelming. We've we've played around with a lot of different things here. We used to do breakfast with everybody and what we do now is lunch with a handful of people. So they can meet like two or three people at a time, not the whole company because they don't remember everybody. Um, so kind of setting up desk, paperwork, having a lunch, and then the afternoon is normally going to be kind of training. So for a CRM coach, you know, let's just show you some very, very basic stuff about our product. And the idea is that by the end of the day, they've done something productive. So for a developer, that is we want them to deploy code on their first day. It's a total joke for a developer. It's like literally updating their own record on our About Us page. It's like a meaningless deploy, but they wrote code and deployed it. For a CRM coach, it's we want them to send one email to a real customer answering a question. Cool. So that's day one. Is that, <laughs> does that make sense? Yeah, you basically want them to realize that, the, the realize, like, do, do some portion of the job on the first day. Yeah. Okay. Um, we we used to do it differently. We used to spend almost the whole first day doing what we jokingly refer to as company ranting, where Michael, who's kind of the CRM coach manager, and, and I just sit down in a room and we're like, here's what we're about. Here's our values. Here's the history. And we still do all that, but uh, it nobody retained anything about that information on day one. Like I kind of think no matter what you tell someone on the first day, they're not going to remember it. So why why go over that stuff then? Um, anyway, I won't go into that level of detail on each day, but I'd say first week or two, we it's mostly training for the person, but we do try to put in brain breaks, which are opportunities to meet more people at the company. So we'll schedule, play a board game with these two people or play darts with these three people for just an hour or so. Um, it's a good way to prevent them from burning out and also a nice way to meet people. Although do I don't that? think we've nailed that. When you do that, are you intentional about picking the people? And do you try to make sure that over the course of all the brain breaks, every single person has had a chance? We are intentional about it. I don't think it normally works out where there are enough brain breaks. I don't think every single person will have met uh, the new hire, but we do try to spread it out where it's, they're not doing this like they're not playing board games with the same three people over and over and over again. Cool. Um, and I think we also try to be conscious of there are people on their team and people not on their team. They probably need more nudges to meet people on the other, like not on their team. Okay. Um, but aside from that, it's just training, which is normally going to either come from their manager or their peer mentor. Um, and then we also start doing what I was talking about. We, we break it into maybe four, four or so hour long sections on history of the company, why we do what we do, how startups work, just kind of that's trying to get them engaged with, like I said, every company uh, says they care about their team and they're not greedy and all this stuff. Um, I, th I We try to lay a foundation for why it's actually true for us. And that's about four different one hour little chunks. You basically want them to start believing what you've been selling. Yeah, exactly. Which is hard. I don't, I, I'm sure we could do that part a lot. I think we do that reasonably well, but I think that's one area that we could definitely do better, but I don't know how. Um. I'm going to note that just to dive into in a second. Yeah. You want to, um, any other context you want to add? I guess just, no, I, th I think that's probably pretty. And then, you know, it's just more training and then eventually they kind of morph into being a full-time employee who, who it, it's, it's actually more than a month. It's like two or three before they're 100% up and running, but uh, about a month in they're productive enough that like they're not meeting with, their peer mentor anymore or stuff like that. 
Cool. Do you, uh, I mean, how many people have onboarded in say last, the last, uh, tw- in 2019? We had three full-time hires, um, which the person starting in a couple of weeks is a full-timer. And then every summer we have about 10 ish people, but they're very different because they're normally college students. They're all starting at the same time. So they kind of have this cohort of people to be friends with. So it's kind of a different thing. So for the three full-timers who started last year, have, what do they say about the onboarding experience? What's going well? What's not going well? Um, I need to, I, we've surveyed people in the past. I don't know that I've gotten specific feedback from those three. So that's a good reminder that I should ask all three of them because um, last time we did this was a year, more than a year ago. The normal feedback we get is overall it was good. Like like most people don't have the attitude of you should always try to improve stuff. Most people are like, that was fine. Don't worry about it. Um, but the first day or two is really overwhelming and chaotic and we've tried all kinds of stuff and it almost doesn't matter. Um, so maybe you just need to accept that. Uh, I think people really like the company ranting stuff, the vision, mission stuff. They they come away with a positive attitude, but they also forget everything we tell them. Even when we wait a couple weeks, um, it's just really like dense and it's stuff I spend all day thinking about. And then I try to condense it down into an hour and it's like they they come away with the feeling I want them to have, but they don't remember the specifics. They couldn't repeat it back to me. Um, otherwise, I think it's mostly positive feedback. So I'm taking some notes here. It's like first day is one topic we should talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, the second topic is how do how do you how do you do a better job of getting that that stuff that's in your head and you you live you live and breathe into their head. Yeah, and since we you know we normally take about an hour for these episodes and we're 30 minutes in, um, I let's maybe just do start with those two and see where that takes us. Cool. So first day, um, I mean, when I, I was like all on board when you said all the things you were doing the first day, but then you said you put the pressure on to actually do part of the job. I felt overwhelmed for the person. Um, so I, I don't know. I don't think that's the part that overwhelms them, actually. Wh- what is it? Well, so let me let me explain what we do for that, because this is this is something we added not super recently. But when we added this, I think it was a big success. Uh, we hold their hand through it to the point where they almost don't need to do anything. It's more like they're watching their peer mentor do it. But the point is they feel like they can leave work at the end of the day and say, I'm not getting, you know, messed around with. It's not going to be months before I can do something like I sent an email today to a customer. That's the idea. But they they don't even, uh, it takes for a CRM coach, it takes maybe three to four hours to get their accounts set up to send an email. So they're literally sending it from someone else's account. Like we we cut everything out of it. We're like, we're, we've saved this trouble ticket. It's perfect for you. We're going to tell you what the answer is. You're going to sit here and write it and hit send. So we try to really hold their hand through it. Okay. And like what's over, what, when people say it's overwhelming, I don't, I don't get why they're saying it's overwhelming. Um, It's, I think it's just like we're, it's day one of a hundred days of learning and just when you're like like when you're learning when you're at the very very beginning of such a long process i think everything you learn you're like this is there's so much more on top of this and it seems like there's not a light at the end of the tunnel that's that's me kind of editorializing but i think that's it that's what i thought okay so like, like light that's suggestive of you haven't provided um 
a high level roadmap that they can break, you know, break the next 30 days or whatever the time frame is into in like little things that they know they can do. Mm-hmm. So is there, what do you, um, do you currently during the sales process or the uh, hire, I guess the hiring process or between the hiring process when they accept and the start date, do you do anything to prepare them for what onboarding is going to be like and why they shouldn't be worried about it? That's a good question. We d- we are very communicative. We've actually had people come in on their first day and they're like, I cannot believe the amount of information you sent me before starting. But I think it's probably less about the job. It's stuff like, here's how parking is going to work and the kind of the logistics, because that's, that's the first thing that can stress someone out on their first day, right? Is how do I literally just get to your office? Um what documents do I need to show up with so I can make sure I get the paperwork? We do that pretty thoroughly. We probably don't roadmap what to expect much at all. So that's an interesting idea. And wh- when you when you do that, when you do communicate at, at some point, like, hey, we're all starting with onboarding and you just sit down, do you make it simple in terms of like, hey, we basically just want to increase your trust? We want you to, like, in 30 days, we if nothing else happens and you're happy, you understand what we're about mm-hmm. and- you have relationships here with everyone, trusting relationships. They have trust. Everyone here has trusting relationships with you and you feel safe. That's a win. Yeah, that's interesting. So I didn't have the language for that until right. Like at the beginning of this, you said we, we decided trust is the main thing. I hadn't thought of it that way up until that point. So there's no way for, I would have said that to somebody. Now that I have that language, that's a good point. Can I give a little tangent just for, for anyone listening? My number one lesson I've learned in the past about how to address problems with onboarding is to do exactly what you just said, to just say it out loud. Um, one of the main improvements we've had through the years is the first day we just tell people, uh, you're going to feel totally overwhelmed. Everybody does. Just by saying that, even if you can't fix it, they're like, oh, okay, this is normal. So j- yeah, just saying before something happens that it's going to happen is so valuable. So I think that's a good point. <laughs> totally, totally. Um, and uh, and and simplify. I think simplifying like the out- desired outcomes just goes a long way too because it'll it gives them sort of beacons. Like, why am I? I'm mm-hmm. going through. I'm I'm waiting through all these like minutia, these these transactional things that are just pi- like a stack of papers piling up on my desk. Um, there's no end in sight, like you said, but I know, I know I'm making progress against, you know, one, two, and three that my hiring manager, Tyler told me that was important. Something like that. No. Yeah. It makes a lot of sense to me that if they're stressed out, it's because they think they, their goal is to be good at customer service because that's the job. If we tell them the goal is not that yet, like that'll come, but that's not what you should be focusing on as your metric for success. Then and we give them a metric that, or not a metric necessarily, but a, a goalpost that they can f- actually achieve. Okay, that that makes a lot of sense. By the end of this month, we want you to feel safe, and that mm-hmm. should be like you be you need to ask me questions to feel that. Um, if if you if you need me to handle things for you and make things easier for you, come talk to me right away. And we need <sighs> that's a great point. By the way, nobody asks questions. I it doesn't matter what we say to them. They will not ask me or Michael questions, mm-hmm. <laughs> but what you just said makes sense. the <laughs> The goal is for you to ask us questions. You're not; it's not some other goal that you can possibly achieve without asking questions. No, 
The goal mm-hmm. in and of itself is to create a, an environment where you feel safe asking the stupidest question in the world. Mm, I like this a lot. And then this, the other part of that, the other side of this is develop trust in, in you by, by your team members. Make, your, mm-hmm. make the rest of the company trust you. How do you do that? Go get to know them. Be vulnerable with them. Ask stupid questions. <laughs> so that one, I, I, I get what you're saying with that. That seems a little more likely to intimidate someone mm-hmm. to me, just in the sense, if someone said that to me, that that's my goal is like, your team needs to trust you. I'd be leaving work at the end of the day and be like, That's, did I do it? Did I do oh, okay? Yeah, you're right. You're totally right. In fact, like, and, and it's, and it's unnecessary to add that because just number one alone is what will increase trust. Like what you start trusting people, when people start asking the right questions, like stupid questions that follow up with questions, you don't worry about them. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's almost just like, Hey, like go, go feel safe being you. Yeah. We hired you because you're you. If in 30 days you feel safe being you and, you know, and, and, and two, you understand what we're about and you believe it. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. a win. What do you think about like even going so far as to say, here's a date. So this person starting something like February 15th, I think, or January 15th. Um, let's say, I'm not sure I like this idea, but I'm just spitballing. We say February 15th, that's the day your goal changes to starting to, to being good at CRM coaching until that day. Don't even worry about it or something like that so that they know it's not, there's no pressure on that. And I think you can tie this back into what your company is about. You always come back to being safe. I mean, I think that's, that's mm-hmm. recurrent in all of our personnel conversations. Um, if you can, I, you know, it's almost like, Hey, we're going to, we're so serious about this. It's so much a part of our DNA we're going to force you to walk this uh, without worrying about anything else for the, for some period of time. Yeah. What I love is this, this goes hand in hand so well with, you know, what I talked about earlier was every company talks about this stuff and they're lying, but how do you communicate that? One of the big things we say during our ranting is we have a longer time horizon than other companies we're about sustainability and retention and all that stuff. So we can we can play these two off each other to say, to prove this to you, we're not going to get any fucking value out of you at all for the first month. So what does that tell you about the culture of the company that we're investing in you for such a long period here? Absolutely. And this is the start yeah. to last stuff I want to talk to you about. This is this is mm-hmm. the, the essence of it. Um, so yeah, I um, I, and I, I think that's a lot to ask too. Like I think let's not. Most people aren't comfortable. That is different. So I think that mm-hmm. recognizing it may seem really simple. One, do, let's make work, work with me and the rest of the team to make you feel safe. Yeah. And two, you know, learn what the company's about and try and and break down barriers to believe it. But that's this is hard. <laughs> this right. takes effort. So. I want to talk about your point two there, but but first, so let me just run through what's going on in my head right now. Um, we when we used to originally when we were hiring CRM coaches, our main way of hiring them was go to WashU or you know go to colleges, hire people who are graduating seniors, and this is their first job ever. And the way to do all of this was unique to the fact that they had no practical experience. There, it was basically like 
taking kids and teaching them how to be adults. More recently, all of the recent CRM coaching hires we made have been people who are you know, already in adulthood, have had other jobs. So for example, the person starting this month previously worked at Square. Um, the way, so I'm saying this for my own benefit, but also anyone else listening, it's probably really important to understand what experiences they're coming from. Someone coming from Square, uh, I, I think there's a lot of good stuff about Square, but apparently it's a super, super metrics heavy, like hit your quota, make this many calls every day, that type of thing. And so we need to balance against that. Whereas a college student might not even, it might not even occur to them that any company does that. Um, so understanding, and probably it should be different for each person. What was their last job? We learned a lot about it in the interview process. How can we compare ourselves against that? Not just give the exact same spiel to every single person who starts. Yeah. And, uh, one of the challenges with a person who's never worked before is they don't appreciate what you're doing for them because they have no context. And, and there's only so much you can say, like sometimes they just have to go experience the grass is not always greener um, <laughs> until they really, until they really know um, what, what was different. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think the, uh, of the people we've hired right out of college, the only ones who don't have that problem, they have friends who hate their jobs. So they, they sometimes come back and they're like, did you know that at some companies, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, that's, yeah. that's at almost every company. <laughs> yep. Yep. Um, yeah. Okay, cool. So anyway, I, just to recap all that, we need to set expectations that are not about job performance. It's about trust, break those into small pieces and give them, make the, make the new hire feel safe, focusing on that instead of their actual job performance for the first month or however long. And also understand the context of what they're coming from before this so that we can kind of a ease them in and make them feel safer, but also market to them a little bit better and say, what are your expectations, your, your negative expectations about the world? We're going to switch those to positive here. Yeah. Um, I, I would add one thing. I think it's really important. I think, you know, why trust is important. Uh, when mm -hmm. I was talking, I, I got into this big time towards the end of my tenure at people keep, um, and it was like getting people to buy into that trust was important was a challenge for me. Now it may not be as challenging because you're, you, you're maybe incorporating that into the hiring process, but I think it's important to have a, a pretty succinct spiel on why you think, why you think feeling safe is important, why you think trust is important and why, you know, not why this will pay dividends for this person in the long run. Yeah. I think that's a very good point, and it's probably something, if you hadn't said that, I would have glossed over. It's especially important here because this particular hire um, is coming from a sales background, and I've noted, I think salespeople have a lot of really bad habits that need to be broken, and and there's more of a sense of competition and, and that type of thing. I don't think he has, like, we wouldn't have given the offer if we didn't think at his core he wasn't like that, but we, yeah, we really need to say... This is not that environment. A quota-based so, yeah. sales job is fear-based by mm -hmm. definition. It is not safe. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So establish why trust is important. Set goals around that and say, that's what you should be focusing on. Okay. So now can we talk... To me, the second part here, earlier on, we said there are two things we're going to focus on. The second part is... Let's say we've done all that. We've reduced the stress of the first day and 
This person understands what they need to be focusing on. And let's say they're receptive to that. How do you think I should go about communicating what we're about? Like not not first day stuff, but first month. How do we say here are our values, here's why we're doing it, and so on? So you have this company handbook, right? Mm-hmm. We've talked about that in a previous episode. We've even, I think we even posted a copy of it, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that seems, to, I, I don't, maybe a little bit ridiculous to say this is the Bible of less knowing CRM, but I mean, I would, I think every, the, if that's the core of what you're trying to teach and it includes mm-hmm. everything in there, then that book should be around them at all times. They should be reading it. Uh-huh. And hopefully your conversations with them turn more conversational versus presentational. Yeah. Let me dive into that a little. So first of all, I should say we, we have the employee handbook split up into three sections. One is just office stuff. How do you deal with the refrigerator? Um, that one's pretty much fleshed out. The second one is compensation and benefits. That one's pretty much fleshed out. We have a third one, which is more about like mission stuff. And we have content in there, but that's the one we haven't redone recently. So it's a, it's less content than the other ones, and B, it's just not its not a cohesive narrative. It's just like a few random essays, basically, that doesn't really cover the whole thing. So it sounds like, A, we should build that out. <laughs> Something we've run into in the past is, do you give the employee handbook to someone before or after ranting? Um, I, I get what you just said, is it, they should read it first. We shouldn't be presenting those ideas. Is that right? I'm assuming, have you ranted during the hiring process? It depends a lot on the person. Um, some people are really into it. And if they are, I give them an unlimited amount of my time for me to talk about that stuff with them. A lot of people are just, they're like, oh, you're a startup. Cool. You know, and that's that. So with this person, actually, I'd say we we did. He, he's a very gregarious, I mean, he's coming from sales. He dove into that more than most people. Mm-hmm. So I wonder if, you take a similar approach to your hiring where it's let that, I feel like this, I I think what I'm trying to say is this should be team member driven, not Tyler driven. Mm-hmm. I was the ranter. I did the ranting and I, I remember like, I love talking about it. I loved it. <laughs> I felt good talking mm-hmm. about it. It fulfilled my bucket, but oftentimes it didn't, um, it didn't lead to what I was hoping to have happen with the team member mm-hmm. unless they were coming to me and pulling me aside and saying, Hey, tell me about this. But if I force, if I, if I was the one directing that, it, I, I, I feel like, I don't know. Do you, do you find yourself in a situation where you've pulled someone in and it's not being listened to as much when you're directing it versus it being directed by the other person? What you're saying a hundred percent resonates with me. The problem is most people don't direct it at all. Um, a number of people have told me it wasn't until they were here for a year that they actually understood the importance of the stuff we were talking about. So for a lot of people, if I'm not directing it, the conversation doesn't happen. So I would say that 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 leads me to believe that the problem is unclear objectives of your onboarding process Mm -hmm. to the whole company. So I I think trust is really clear now. You're going to fix that. But I I don't think it sounds to me like the person onboarding in the past and the the rest of the team don't share your level, uh, the level of importance you place on getting the rant uh, down. I don't know what the, what, what the measure of success is, but getting, getting it, um, isn't number one, isn't number two priority 
uh, for other people in the company during onboarding. Well, I want to clarify some language. When you're saying the team, everyone who works here now, as far as I know, seems to be really behind A, this stuff matters, and B, the new hire should learn it. I've, I've collected feedback from a lot of different people on how to do onboarding, and no one has pushed back on the value of that. It's not the team. It's this one person who just started. They, they don't know what questions to ask. They haven't seen it in action yet, you know? Let me clarify. I did not mean that's not what I'm sure that all of your existing team members have gotten there somehow. That That's that's because your onboarding works. I think what we're talking about here is how do we improve it? Mm-hmm. And um, the, the comment that I that stood out to me was it doesn't happen. And you said, quote, I, it doesn't happen unless I direct it. Yeah. Right? Or, or let me let it, me be more specific about that. Yeah. We okay. tell people during these sessions, we always build an extra time. We're like the best We've done this a million times now. The best times are when you ask a bunch of questions, challenge us. We've had people tell us in the past they disagree with us. Those were great. We t- we always say that, like, this should be a conversation. The problem is they're always sitting there like, this is seems interesting, but I don't even know what questions to ask. That type of thing. Is that indicative of, of poor content uh, that they've been handed? Um, or is that indicative of a lack of passion for a lack of shared passion for what you have. I guess maybe it's experience that they need to have at the company in order to get that. Right. Maybe this isn't something you can accomplish in 30 days. Yeah. I I think that's possible. I, so especially for college students and stuff like that, a big part of it is they don't, you know, like a big part of what we talk about is here's how startups get funding and then they IPO. And we're literally explaining to people what a publicly traded company is like really basic fundamental stuff. Um, where they're just like in awe, like, oh, I knew companies were greedy, but I didn't understand that there was shareholder pressure on them. Oh. And so they're getting, they're learning stuff from it, but they're not really at a point where they're like, well, hang on, I'm going to critically think about this and try to apply it to my, I don't know. So maybe you're right. Maybe it can't happen in 30 days. Yeah. There should be some subset though, where, yeah, it feels like comprehension uh, should be a goal in the, yeah. th- in the first 30 days, but maybe, maybe just focus on trust and that's it. It's like, well, I think all the, uh, if we wanted to, we could frame all of this around trust. Like I could say, we're going to do four hours of company ranting. Like one way to frame it is we've got a bunch of different values, like let's say five core pillars or something like that. And we're going to go over all of them, but I don't think it would be hard to say trust is the only thing, but you won't understand why, like how trust works here. If you don't know how startups work and what's wrong with that model and so on. So I'm, I'm in the middle of a book um, right now that's called The Speed of Trust by, it's one of the Coveys. Um, you know the Covey guys? No, I don't. Uh, um, they were big, big family here in Utah who have built a, it's, you ever heard of Franklin Covey? I don't, like the think, leadership training I don't think so. Uh, maybe no. that's a local thing. I, but anyway, um, they he, this guy wrote a book. He's the son of the founder of Franklin Covey, I believe. May, may have gotten that wrong, so don't quote me. But he, he breaks down levels of trust in this framework to there's trust in self. There's trust in another relationship. There's trust in the organization. Hmm. And then there's organizational, there's trust in the company. Um, tr- um, trust brand trust. Um, and I think what, if you could maybe, that's just one framework to think about how to explain this and the concept of trust. Like first trust, we want you to feel safe being yourself, trust yourself here. Mm -hmm. Two, we want you to have 
trusting relationships with your team members. And overarching all this is why trust is so important that you're going to have to get right. Three, we need to have trust in less annoying CRM. Here's what you need to know in order to have trust in us. And then we need you to be contributing to our, our the market's trust and our customer's trust in our brand. And here's what you need to know for that. Hmm. That's an interesting framework to think about just making it all about trust in the first 30 days around these different levels. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's really interesting. Um, to, to put that in language, one thing I like about that a lot, that's different words than what is used a lot in a lot of discussions that people who work here care about, but it's the exact same idea. And it's normally about distrust though. Let me give one example that people who are interested in social justice talk about all the time is racism. You can have a, an, an environment where every individual person is not racist and you still get racist outcomes because the system is. This, which is, if I said that to a new hire we're training, they may not know what a publicly traded company is, but they absolutely know that. That's something they've all heard before. Um, so I, it seems pretty reasonable to say, listen, the, the, the way we're differentiating ourselves versus other companies, it's like, yeah, it's going to start with you and then you and one other person and you and three other people. But at the end of this, if the goal is to have trust at the end of a month, you have to trust the system. And you can't do that if you don't understand the system. Okay. I feel like that there's probably plenty of room to improve the content itself, but it sounds like really the first step is to frame the content, explain why we're going over it and all that. And then maybe that'll uncover ways in which the content could fit that, that narrative better. Yeah. I, and, and I think what's indicative here to me is that, I mean, you gave, you came here and said, here are all the things we do. You didn't start with Rick <laughs> onboarding is successful if yeah. One, two, three. And I think just by clarifying those in a way that aligns all the stuff that you're already doing will expose opportunities mm -hmm. to improve or where things don't make any sense anymore or where you're missing. Yeah, I 100% agree. So this seems like a nice stopping point to me. So maybe we can do takeaways. I like that idea. Cool. Uh, do you want me to <laughs> run this? Yeah. What are your? I think yeah. this is more for you. Like, I, I would, I would just, I'll, I'll say what my big takeaway was. Mm -hmm. I, um, I, I think this is a big part of what we need to, what, what starting it to last means is the ability to prioritize trust. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm, I'm leaving going. Oh, the ability to prioritize trust at the expense of profits in the short term, in order to reap. The, re the rewards of trust and the in terms of profits in the long yeah. term. I think that's really interesting. Yeah. So it's possible every other topic we we have, have on this podcast, at the end of it, we're like, okay, how did we make trust more important than it is everywhere else, basically? Yeah. Specifically, how we're applying it to this case is number one. One of the problems we're solving is the first day and first week were too stressful before. And a way we can de-stress things is not to radically change what actually happens, but instead to set expectations to say, you're not supposed to be an expert CRM coach yet. You know, It's not about any of that. Setting much, much more realistic goals about just getting to know people, trusting the company, trusting each other, that's going to seem more achievable and lower their stress levels. And then number two is we've got all this content we're giving people that they seemingly enjoy or they find interesting, but that maybe they don't retain super well. And building a narrative around all of this is being told to you to reinforce that first thing, which is that the goal of the first month is trust. 
Um, building everything around that might contextualize a little bit so that they understand why we're talking about it, they retain it better, and so on. Yeah, and I, I think that what's when I try to talk about trust, just I want to make sure that you got this. Um, I didn't spend enough time explaining why it was important up front, and it it really confused a lot of people at the company and slowed them down when that was when when in reality they were way further along in certain areas. I I, I created some fear when I was inten- intentionally when I was trying to create safety because I wasn't clear about why it was important. Right. Yeah. Because I, I, it's a fair point. Probably if you frame this wrong, people might be like, wait, was there, was there a distrust problem or yes. you know, something like yes. that? And then you can always find distrust if you're looking for it. You could, it's yeah. so easy. It's contagious. So what I'm thinking about maybe keep, so we've, we've pushed back and back the, the ranting stuff until week two or three, because so people have their feet wet. I think maybe the first day we need a 30 minute trust is the word and here's why. Um, and just talk about this is, this is, and it, it's, it's so easy for us to say, this is our whole marketing strategy. We don't have any marketing. All it is, is building trust with customers. We don't, you know, we don't do any of that fancy shit that other companies do well. It's just trust and then everything else follows. And I then, like it a lot. Okay. So that sets the stage and, and, and say, here's your goal for the first month. Then we just get back to what we already do. And then when we do the ranting, recontextualize it again and say, okay, remember how trust is so important. Okay. I need to sit down and write this out, but th- this makes, what I love about this is it's not a radical change. I'm not like investing hours and hours and hours into this. It's just explain stuff a little bit better. Yep. Cool. Yep. All right. Well, this is really helpful. Thanks for walking me through this. I hope if, if anyone's listening, obviously the specifics of this are different for you, but I think this can apply to onboarding customers, employees, uh, just something I'm bad at is thinking is like taking a step back and saying, I'm going to explain to this person the fundamentals of why we're doing this before I, I actually do the stuff I'm going to do. I think this could probably apply to just about anybody. I agree. Totally. Well, everyone, um, thank you for listening. You can join the conversation on this topic and review past topics by visiting startuptolast.com. If you have questions, contact us via the website or on Twitter. We'd love to hear your thoughts and ideas. That's startuptolast.com. Also, um, please leave us a five-star review on the podcast app of your choice. It will help us a ton. Um, and I, I meant to call out a couple of, of comments we got to, uh, over the past break, but I will do that next week. So I really appreciate some of the notes we got um, and reviews we got. It, it really inspired us. So um, I'll see you next week, Tyler. All right. See you.